It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by Ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the, the one and the only Creative Real Estate Podcast. This is the seven-part series, the seven-part series uh, where we're talking about the KLTI blueprint in the first episode. We just we outlined what the KLTI blueprint is. Second episode, we talked about how do you get the most amount of people to know you, how to get 40,000 people to know you. The third episode, we talked about how do you get those people from knowing you to jumping on your email list of maybe 6,000 people. In the very last episode, I taught you how do you get the people that are, that are on the 6,000 list and you prune your apple tree so that you only have those 742, 742, 10, 12% of your main list decides that they're committed. They trust you. How do you, go, how do you get them from there to there? And so we, we talked a lot about how to do that. We talked about the main thing being being the emails that continue to go out to them and that how important it is that, that they are similar to the lead magnet that they downloaded in the first place. And that the call to action, well, I didn't say this on the last episode, but the call to action needs to be fairly similar to what the whole thing's about anyway. If you're calling them to action, it has to be along the same lines. So you're, you're, talk, you're teaching them how to become a safer passive investor? Great. Now, I, now you need to tell them if they're ready to be that safe passive investor, this is what they do. You give them the call to action. So I talked about the email sequence. I talked a little bit about, um, I call it soap opera marketing or the Netflix effect, which basically means you have cliffhangers at the end of every email. And Oh, you know what? That's actually what I've been doing on these podcasts. Come to think of it, I, I didn't even realize it. Like this is interesting because I'm so used to making sure that my, the people that come to my meetup, that they come to the next meetup. And I'm so natural at the, when I share a podcast, if I know what's coming next, I want to tease you. I want to do that, and I've been doing that. So in the last episode, I, I let you know that I was going to teach you the tricks that allow you to take those 6,000 and prune them into the 742 people that are committed. Uh, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I made a mistake. That was two episodes ago. So in the last episode that I just got done recording and you just got listening to, I talked about how do you get those people, I, I, or I didn't talk about it, but I, I let you know that it was coming, that I was going to teach you how to actually get them to invest. How do you get those, those passive investors to invest in your deal? And that's what we're talking about. Here we go. Uh, calling the capital. Calling the capital. That's what we're talking about. Okay. How do, how do you ask for the money? The first three, the, fir, the first three steps 
getting them to know you, getting them to like you, getting them to trust you, all come to where we are now. You want the most delicious apples and you want them whenever you need them. You don't want to have to go and buy them and pay premiums. So how do you do that? So I, I think that the, the, the main parts of, of me sharing with you how to call for the capital, the first thing I'm going to talk about is EBOP. The second thing I'm going to talk about is psychology. And the third thing that I'm going to talk about is, let me think, what should be the third thing? So I'm going to talk about EBOP. I'm going to talk about psychology. And then I'm going to talk about, hmm, what would be the best for you? How about we talk, uh, we, we touch on automation, okay? All right. What is EBOP? E-B-O-P. E-B-O-P. EBOP. If you are driving, you're going to want to listen to this episode when you have a chance to take notes because this is important stuff. This is something that, I, I will pay for uh, your time, okay? Your, your time's valuable, and I understand that. And I guess what I'm saying is just understanding EBOP and being able to keep it in order is going to allow you to make more time out of your day to save more time than you're spending with me now. So I'm going to talk a little bit about EBOP. Um, E-bop, e-bop. All right. Um, it is a process that allows you to have a stress-free syndication. And what's interesting is no one else teaches EBOP. I believe that I'm the only one. We go into it in a little bit more detail at the summit, but I'm going to give you pretty much the whole thing right now um, as much as I can in the amount of time that we're allotted because this is so important that you understand it perfectly. The E stands for entity, the B stands for bank account, the O stands for operating agreement, and the P stands for private placement memorandum. The E is for entity, B for bank account, O for operating agreement, and P for private placement memorandum. Entity, bank account, OA, and PPM. Entity, bank account, your OA, and your PPM. Okay, remember that, EBOP. It's critical that it goes in this order, by the way. Um, if you create the operating agreement or the OA before you go to the bank, then all of a sudden the bank is going to make you uh, bring a, a hundred partners to come and sign on the loan. And that would, be, that would be bad. So what others have done and as a mistake is they've created the oper operating agreement before the bank account. And so all of a sudden this operating agreement shows all of these different members of the team and the bank's never going to let you open a bank account with um, if, if you don't have everybody present. And it's going to stress you out because a lot of times your partners don't all live in the city that you live in. In fact, uh, out of the seven deals that I've done, two of them, two of these deals, we were, we were co-GP, okay? Out of the seven deals I've done, 1,400 doors. Two of them we, we co-GP'd. What I mean by that is, um, is that there was two operating teams. One of them were focusing more on uh, 
other so one of them is going to be the it's hard to explain because there's really like seven there's really um seven different parts to the general partnership but for lack of, i think it's going to be easier for me to explain if if i say let's just say one person finds the deal and then we come in and we help raise money we help um we help basically manage the investor list. We help um, on the operating team. We, uh, we help with all, all sorts of stuff, right? There's, I, that's not the basic part of the topic. The basic part of the topic is that sometimes you have a lot of partners and sometimes they are in two different cities, two different states, etc. And when that happens, it's going to just be really difficult for you to be able to um, go to the bank and get a bank account because they are going to want everybody to sign it. So what we, what we talk about is first you get your entity created. So what you'll do is you'll get the LLC started and then you, then you go to the bank right away and um, you are the only owner of the company at that time. And then, because so now you have the bank account ready. Now you get the operating agreement completely ready to go. And that's going to share with who owns it, how much they own, what their role is in the company, whether they, are, they, they found the deal, whether they're asset manager, whether they're raising money, whether they're doing whatever. And then once the operating agreement's all set in place, then it's really, really easy for you to go back to the bank account and just submit those papers quickly. But what's, in, what's essential is that you have the bank account ready to go because event, there's going to come a time because in this episode, we're talking about calling the capital. There's going to come a time where you're going to need to raise millions of dollars. Okay. So the PPM is next. The operating agreement is, is done first. And then the private placement memorandum is created. And why I like this, why I like this being the last thing is because it costs generally in attorney fees to get the PPM. It can cost anywhere from 10-ish thousand, 12-ish thousand, 15-ish thousand, even up to you know, 25,000 for the private placement memorandum. And I know that that um, is stressful for some people. Don't worry that money comes out of the company. So you will have to front it or you'll have a partner that fronts it. And maybe you'll write a check for 12,000 or whatever it is to your attorney. Um, and then whenever you end up raising the money because of the PPM, the PPM is what allows you to be able to have money illegally. Um, whenever you take care of that, then all, then you're going to have, what am I trying to say? The private placement memorandum is created so that you can put the money in. I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. I will make sure that you still get mass amounts of value on this podcast. Laugh with me. Don't laugh at me. All right. EBOP, Entity Bank Account Operating Agreement Private Placement Memorandum. The PPM, by the way, is going to cost you $10,000, $12,000, maybe $25,000. And it's essential because it's what legally allows you to raise money. In fact, the PPM needs to be signed by your pa passive investor. This is when you're doing syndications, okay? Um, now, if you're if you're doing a, uh, a single family, you still want to do the entity, you still want to do the bank account, you still want to do the operating agreement, but um, the fourth thing is you're probably not going to use a PPM, okay, for something that small. Um, but it's critical that it goes in this order that I shared with you. Um, there could be three to 12 people on a team, so you want to make sure, even if they're in different cities, that they're going to be able to be part of that. 
Um, another thing that's important is you want to have an attorney create the entity. So in the very, here's the steps. The next part that I'm sharing with you is really the steps here. Okay, so there's going to be, uh, there's going to be four steps that I outline here. Step one is, is have an attorney create the entity. Um, a lot of us, we think we're going to just save time or we're going to save money. And, and it's, we, we say it's easy enough to just kind of go on. It's easy enough to just go on the county website and go to the, what is it? SOS. It's a, I don't remember the, the term for it. Secretary of state, secretary of state. That's what it is. Um, so what we do is be basically, some of us think that we'll just create the entity and some, most of the time we don't understand how to create the entity the right way. All right. And we don't, we're not really there to protect ourselves. We're there to do it fast and we're going to skip steps. And just for an example, there's like a manager managed entity and there's a member managed entity, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. There's an LLC, there's an LP, like a limited partnership. There's a limited liability partnership. There's a limited liability, limited partnership, LLLP. There's an LLC, an LP, an LLP. There's, um, there is uh, what are what are they called? Uh, there's the two types of corporations: an S corp and a C corp. There's um, there's quite a bit of options out there, and what you want to make sure is that you're having the right one for for the right time. And if you have past investors that are like from um, Canada or um, Australia or something, you're going to need to do a certain one of those. And sometimes you'll need to do two of them and sometimes you'll need to do a trust. And you probably don't understand that. And that's something I also don't understand on my own. That's why I don't set up my own freaking bank entities or my own freaking entities. I just have an attorney who's, who knows what I'm trying to accomplish and they understand the law and they understand how to make it happen. And so that's what I, that's what I do. And that's what I'm suggesting. Step one, have a, an attorney create your entity. Step two, you go straight to the bank account. As soon as that entity's ready, you go straight to the bank account. The bank's going to ask you uh, uh, how many members you're going to say, it's just me. And, and you're going to just keep it simple. Okay. Remember KISS, keep it simple, stupid. That's what you're going to do. You're going to keep it simple. Just go and get the bank account ready. Step three, okay, when the bank account's ready, the attorney can work on your op agreement, okay? Whenever that bank account's ready, the attorney starts creating your operating agreement. Um, some parts of this is they're going to get more information of your team. They're going to get the percentage of ownerships of the members. They're going to know if it's member managed or manager manage, managed. They're going to, um, they're going to show the operating team and the past investors, um, you know, the, how, how the Oper how the operations should be conducted, all that kind of stuff. This is going to be in your OA, your operating agreement. Once that's ready to go, step four can happen and that's your PPM. And there's a lot of things that we need to touch on in the PPM and I'm going to try to cover them quickly. Okay. I, I think I've got written down like nine or nine plus, maybe 10 things that, that are important. And um, we can spend more time on this at another time, but to be able to efficiently get through um, you raising capital, I'm not going to spend way too much time on the PPM. Your attorney is going to spend time with you on the PPM. Hire an attorney to do your to your PPM. Um, I'm I'm get, I'm not an attorney, and I'm 
only giving you enough to make you dangerous. Now you're, now you're dangerous. You know a little bit, but you don't know a lot. I'm only giving you enough to make you dangerous. And I only know enough to make me dangerous. And that's why, just like with the entity where I hire an attorney, I have an attorney create the operating agreement. I have an attorney create the PPM. So here's um, some of those points, nine-ish points. The main purpose is to comply with SEC regulations, okay? Rules and regulations set out by the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. And that's going to allow operators like you to take money from past investors and put it in your deals. The second thing that it does is it's a legal document that basically shows you, you shows how you're going private, okay? What I mean by that is um, on Wall Street, those companies have gone public. They've gone public which basically means that they've spent lots and lots of money. They've gone through rigorous, um, you know, the doctors are putting on their gloves and, uh, and putting the, your, their fingers up their rear end. That's how much scrutiny you're getting when um, you're, you're going public. They look at all of your books. They audit all of your books. They, um, they look into the team. When you're going public, there's a lot that happens. And so it's, it's really not easy to go public. And plus, it costs a ton of money. The PPM is a legal document that shows you how you are going private, okay, going private. And by doing this, you basically have, um, you basically have a couple of, of, what is the base, best way to say it? Regulation D-506B or Regulation D-506C, these are exemptions from going public. These are exemptions to allow you to raise money from smaller amounts of people and you don't have to go through the additional costs and time and scrutiny jumping through hoops as you would if you were taking your company public, okay? So that's the, that's the legal document that shows you that you're going private. Um, the third point that I wanted to make, mention about the PPM is that, you know, most, uh, most include a warning to past investors. Basically, it's, it's saying all of the risks that can happen. Um, it allows you to be fully transparent with your past investors because basically um, there is risk involved with everything and the, it, the PPM outlines all of those risks and it needs to be signed. It has to be signed by your past investors before they put the money into the deal. Before they wire the funds, they have to have already signed. So you need to make sure that you're collecting those signatures prior to collecting the money and it going into the bank account. It's very, very, very important, both on your end and you just trying to protect your past investors. Um, the fourth part that I wanted to mention is that, um, Let's see, do I have to read all this before? I guess the fourth part goes with the third part. I had a past investor. He asked me if I had to read all of it before. And all of a sudden, I was still waiting for him to uh, wire the money. And I called him and he goes, well, Adam, you told me I had to read this before I sent in the money. And, you know, that, that is, I think, an important uh, story because it's something that's going to... Um, it's something that a lot of past investors are going to want to skip. They can't skip it. One of the reasons why you have an attorney write this is because that attorney is going to know um, all of the risks and they're going to be able to outline those risks and they're going to be able to share it in such a way that is going to allow your 
um, your past investor to really uh, truly understand what they're getting into. Um, oftentimes, the fifth point is oftentimes these are like 40 pages or 80 pages of legal speak. It's very boring. Okay. It's, 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 it's not fun. Nobody wants to read it. Um, the next point that I want to share about a PPM is that you yourself need to read your own PPM. Um, you didn't write your PPM. You don't know what's in there. You don't know if it's protecting you or protecting your, your past investor. And you don't know if, the, if your attorney got everything right. And so you have to spend the time to read it. Not only do you have to spend the time to read it for your own um, good, but also you're going to have um, passive investors that ask you about a part that's in the PPM. And you're going to look like a freaking idiot if you haven't read it yourself. You, all of a sudden, you're making your passive investor read it and they ask you, they say, hey, what does this mean? Oh, and then all of a sudden you go, well, I haven't even read it. I haven't even read my own PPM. I don't know what that says. I'm not sure. Ask my partner, ask my attorney. I don't know. I didn't read it. You're, how can your passive investor now trust you if you haven't read your own PPM? So it's really important. The sixth point is just read your own dang PPM. Understand it. And when you don't understand it, talk to an attorney, talk to your attorney who wrote it. And now when you're fielding questions about the PPM from your past investor, it says, do I actually have to read it? And you say yes. And it's boring and it's 40 to 80 pages. And you, you now can say, yeah, I read that as well. Um, this, is what I, this is what I understand from it. You know what I mean? All right. And the seventh point is just to be sure that all of your um, investors read the entire document. It's kind of funny. I feel like I've, all of these are kind of the same. Read the whole thing, read the whole thing, make sure your past investor reads the whole thing, uh, et cetera. Okay. The next thing I wanted to share is uh, new, new investors don't place enough value on a PPM. You know, they um, like, uh, what I would say is that someone like you might not place uh, an immense amount of value on this private placement. One thing that you might do is you might, um, you might end up, I was looking at the clock. Sorry, I got distracted. But because um, I, I have a coaching call here in a second. We have a, it's something called Raising Money Boardroom. Um, so our, our inner circle, we, we meet every Wednesday. And uh, I'm recording this episode on a Wednesday. And so I just want to make sure that I'm doing fine and going to get on onto that call in time. So I, I got distracted there for just a second. But uh, um <clears throat> Let's look. Uh, number eight is, I don't think that you, um, the listener, I, I don't think that you're really going to understand in, until you do it to the level of, of how important this PPM is um, and making sure that it's written by an attorney. And I want to just kind of give you um, maybe an example or two. There, there's a lot of risks for you if you don't have your attorney do the PPM. For example, um, one of the reasons why the PPM costs so much money is because there's um, there the, the actually your attorney is going to have insurance, and the insurance that the attorney pays for takes care of you in a case where there might be some type of litigation with the PPM. So, like if it's the attorney's fault, there's some type of malpractice insurance that um, that the attorney pays for that's going to protect you. So in some in some cases the the if you just like went and created your own PPM and you didn't have that then you might be forced to pay millions of dollars 
um, of your own money and it really could bankrupt some people, right? Millions of dollars can, can go, uh, can go fast. And when these are set up by a, a real, actually a securities attorney and for your situation, sure, they use templated type stuff, but they make sure that, that all of the real risks that really need to be considered in your deal that they put in there. And they've got that insurance to cover if something happens. So that's a part of what you're paying for. And, and I understand that some of you will say, you know, the, the paper that it's on is only worth, you know, a dime. Uh, you know, each, each sheet is only worth a dime. The paper and the ink are only worth 20 cents or whatever. Um, and it, that might be the case, but not only does the, the attorney have the insurance to protect you in, in any case, but they also have the foresight of what needs to go in there. And just to give you an example, um, laws change. Laws change every, uh, laws can change on a, on a daily basis. Um, I remember securities law literally changed last week. As I'm recording this, securities law just changed last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago. Um, securities law literally just changed. They redefined what, a, what an accredited investor is. Okay, just to give you an example. And if you didn't already know that, and or if you didn't know what that meant, and you tried to create your own PPM, or you tried to download a private placement memorandum from some bogus like website that allows you to do that, and this stuff isn't going to be caught in there. Um, so for an example, at in our, in, I, I just mentioned our inner circle. Um, uh, one of our members to the inner circle is Mauricio Raoult. He's an inner circle's member who's in a, he is a securities attorney. So anyone who's part of the, um, our inner circle, you have like full access to Mauricio Raoult. Um, and he's, he's done a lot of uh, free consultations for members of that group. He's also going to be speaking at the Raising Money Summit. So um, at RMS 2020, it, he'll be one of the speakers. And uh, furthermore, he's, um, he's somebody that I've, I've been a client. I've worked for him. He's been one of my clients where I've helped him kind of grow his social media presence. And it's really helped uh, him. I remember he, he told me that he was making like Twenty-ish thousand dollars more a month um, ever since I helped him with his social media. Um, so that's something that I do in the inner circle. So we we help you with your uh, social media. We help you with you know your legalities. We also have another attorney who's a member, a paying member. His name is uh, Seth Bradley, and he's a, he's a real estate attorney. So not only do we in this group, we've got a securities attorney and a real estate attorney, but also they'll both be speaking at Raising Money Summit. Um, what I'm talking about here is reasons why you need to have an attorney like Mauricio draft your PPM. Um, for instance, there's market specific issues with PPMs. Like there's, there's earthquakes in Oklahoma, there's floods in, in Houston, there's hail in Colorado, there's and, and wind damage. There's hurricanes in Florida there. And there's, there's, um, there's, what is it? LA might fall into this Pacific Ocean. You know, there's all sorts of things that could happen. And those attorneys, your attorney, like Mauricio, can help you kind of figure that out. Um, attorneys understand which parts of the contract and disclaimers must be what they call conspicuous. And, and you might not understand what that means. Uh, let me try to explain it a little bit better. 
just for example, there are certain parts of, the, of a contract that if they're going to be held um, by law in the court of law, they have to be bold or capitalized, okay? They have to be uh, italicized. So the, basically, there are certain, there are certain um, points in contracts that if they're not conspicuous, then, they, then even though it's in the contract, it won't be held to a court of law. And your attorney knows which ones to use. And so even if you wrote your own contract and you just didn't know what needed to be conspicuous, let's just pretend you wrote the same exact thing that an attorney would write. Let's pretend you were smart enough and, and I guess educated enough, not smart enough, we're all smart enough, but educated enough in the law that you you could write just like an attorney how their disclaimers are going to be, but you neglected to make sure that it was conspicuous. And even though it got signed, it wouldn't work. So this is another reason why you need to have an attorney write this because they know which parts need to be like that. Laws regularly change, as we explained just a couple weeks ago in in the end of August. The definition of accredited investor changed. Attorneys have insurance. You're not just paying for their knowledge. You're paying for, you're not just paying for the paper. You're paying for a lot. And um, so when it comes to it, if you are going to raise private capital at a big rate, you need to have a PPM and you need to follow the EBOP. But I want to get out of the EBOP part and I want to just talk about persuasion, um, psychology, and, and a few things that are going to help you be able to attract the most amount of capital. And it's important that you know that there are a few things that, that we um, can do in our conversations that allow someone else to feel something or to come to their own conclusions about something or, or to help them make a decision. And this is what I call psychology and persuasion. And it's, it can be really, really helpful for you to understand these because um, in one way, like let's just pretend that you have those 742 people on your, on your passive investor list and let's just say that you get um, 30% of them, 30% of them to show up on, on the webinar when you have a deal. And so that's about 150 people. Okay, about 150 out of 142. And so this is how many people are on your webinar. And not all of them are going to have a chance to invest in your deal, but they all want to. This is, the, this is a big aha moment for you. All of the people on that webinar, they want to invest. All of the people that came to that webinar, they've already been vetted. They came from the 40,000 to the 6,000. They went from the 6,000 to 742. And now they've decided, just 30% of them, 150 people, have decided that they're going to be on your webinar. Because they have money ready to go. Because they like you. Because they want to invest in the city you're investing in. And because they want to see the deal that you have. This is the biggest aha moment. You don't really need to sell these people. They've gone through hoops to be here. 
they've most of them have talked to you on the phone. All of them have filled out a passive investor um, like worksheet, um, a questionnaire. All of them have filled that out. Almost every single one of them has had a phone call with you. You know these people well. They've been following you for some time and they want to invest and that's why they're on there. But you're only going to have like 20 spots available and there are pieces of psychology that, you, that are only doing one of two things. You're either helping that person invest like they want to or you're scaring them away from investing. You're either helping them do what they want or you're giving them reason to not do what they want. That's what happens on these, on these webinars. They already are sold. They're already sold. And if you don't understand the psychology, if you don't understand persuasion, then, you, then anything you say is either going to get, them to get them to actually invest or get them to go away from investing. And so I want to share with you a few of those things that are, that are going to help you. And just to kind of give you an example of some of the psychology that are going to benefit you. At the Raising Money Summit, I'll have time to go into the 15 major things that are going to help take your past investor to, uh, take your potential past investors who is committed to actually being in on, on the deal. And so what you got to be thinking is just really how to do this. And my suggestion is after you've done EBOP, you create what's called a, 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 a webinar. You create a webinar and you're going to sit down and you're going to share with your past investors, the, your team, the market, and the deal. And so the first thing that I, I want to share, out, there's 15 things that I'm going to share at the summit. Uh, the first one that I want to share with you right now is what's in it for me. Everybody's favorite radio station, WIIFM. Uh, what's in it for me? And what what I'm talking about here on on the what's in it for me is is when you are expressing the um, when you're talking about the uh, sorry sorry when you're talking about when you're having your webinar, you need to share what's in it for the passive investor. And uh, I'm so a mistake on, as a counterpoint to it, a mistake that I, I see a lot of people make is they, they talk mostly just about themselves. When they're on those webinars, they're really just talking, uh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. And it's, it's just kind of a dis, it's distant from the actual passive investor who's on because now they're, they're unable to kind of feel what it feels like to be involved in this. They're unable to see what it looks like to be involved because you're only really talking about what's in it for you. And so you just kind of got to turn those tables and speak in a way that allows your audience, which is the passive investor, to see what's in this for them. What are they going to get out of it? So we, we just need to turn the tables. Another one that I want to share um, is that you have to invoke curiosity. You got to invoke uh, some curiosity. And how you do that is basically you, you kind of have a teaser. You have, you have something in the beginning. Um, this, what I'm about to share with you is the only property 
in this city that's doing this. What I'm about to share with you is the, the, the worst property in a great neighborhood and how we're going to be able to do X, Y, Z to it to, to double our money. This is going to be an interesting webinar. So you got to invoke some curiosity. You do that in the emails before the webinar. You do that at the beginning of the webinar, etc. But you got to invoke some curiosity. Another uh, thing that's really going to help your past investor. Um, I'm just skipping around. I'm doing. I'm just basically going every other. Um, is something called fear of missing out. I, I call it scarcity. But the basically the thing is that. Um, those past investors, they're already sold. They already want to be on there. And um, they might hop off and think that they have all the time in the world. They might hop off and, and not understand like that they have to move fast. They might jump off and they want to do it, but they don't do it because it, their kids are yelling at them. And so one of the things that you can do to help them is you have is you let them know that there's only a limited amount of spots that gets the scarcity so that they understand this is serious if i truly want it i have to make a decision and so that starts getting them the fear of missing out on a great opportunity because someone else might take their spot the next one that i want to share with you on this call is how important it is to have to gain that credibility um, to, to have your authority to give confidence to your passive investor okay the person that's on there and the ways that we do that is by basically talking a little bit about ourselves sharing who we are in in an authentic way that just delivers the message why it is that you're credible. And things that I, could, I can share is basically um, when I went to, when I flew to Meetup HQ um, in April of 2018, and there was only 150, the top 150 organizers from around the world, from many, many, many countries. And I, I got to actually talk with, well, two, two things. I, I, um, a, I was one of the keynote speakers at Meetup HQ. I was one of the six speakers. And B, I had one-on-one -on -one time with about a dozen of the engineers at the sixth floor at Meetup HQ. This creates credibility for me if I were to help you with your meetup. Not just because Pinaros on my nose, I've, I, I flew there, but out of when they take 225,000 meetups and they pick just the 150 out of 225,000 that's the top 1% of 1% and that's something special that adds some credibility to what I'm doing if I'm teaching you how to do a, a meetup that gives you confidence in who you should hire if, if you want to grow a meetup. It gives me the authority because I sat and literally just asked the attorneys, 12 of the attorneys, the engineers, 12 of them, how to get, how, what 
are the algorithms. They specifically told me the algorithms. How many people can say that? So that helps me become the authority if I'm teaching you how to grow your meetup. Because I love engineers and I went to the sixth floor and I just geeked out with the engineers and I had a good time. And so it, you've got to do things like that when you're teaching your, uh, your passive investor how to safely passive invest. You can use things like if you've also passively invested, if you've been a passive investor, like I, I've been a passive investor in 1,100 doors, and so I know what it's like to be a passive investor with three different operators, in fact. And I understand what I like and what I don't like, the communication, etc. That adds credibility. That helps me become more of an authority on, on, this, on real estate, maybe because I've been involved for 15 years or whatever. But you've got to create the story that gives you credibility, that makes you the authority, and gives confidence to the past investor that they ought to be investing with you. Um, the next thing that I'll say is social proofing. Social proof is just um, the reason, the main reason why Amazon's so popular. It's not because you can um, buy things from the comfort of your own home in your underwear. It's because it's because when you're on uh, Amazon, you can go and and buy something that has good reviews. I'll let you know that I was on Amazon today, in fact, and there was a, there was um, a product that only had, it had four stars and two people had reviewed it. I didn't buy it. I can't trust it yet because there's no social proof. There's not enough social proof, only two. But if I, if I find something that has like 200 or 2,000 um, reviews and it's four and a half stars, I'm probably going to buy it. I'm probably going to feel confident. That's the social proof that I need. And other things that we can do, we can use this in, in how you speak with your past investors on the webinar. So you just let them know, this other past investor invested with us in our deals and this is the result they got and this is what they felt about it. This is what they liked about it. This is why they decided to go with us. That type of social proofing can allow the next person to, to resonate with the first person you're telling a story about. So within the social proofing, use stories. Use stories about others who have gone before. And hey, if it's your very first deal, cool. It's all good. It's your first deal. No big deal. <laughs> it may be a big deal. No biggie. If this is just your first deal, what you can do is you can, you can still have social proof of others who've passively invested in your asset class. So if you're, if you're doing assisted living, for instance, hey, I, I was speaking to this guy named Bob. Bob, does, um, Bob is a passive investor and he's chosen to only do assisted living. I asked him why and here's the three things that Bob said. And now the listener is starting to resonate with Bob. That's the social proof that you need. Um, I, I'll, I'll stick there. I think that was only five of the 15 that I'll share at the summit. Um, oh, you know what? I'll give you one more. And it's a bonus. It's an epic one. I like letting them sell themselves. Okay, this is a huge bonus. And I'll teach you how to do this more at Raising Money Summit. But number, 
the, the, my favorite thing that you can do to have your passive investor get in on your deal is you ask them questions that has them sell themselves. So when you're on the phone with them as a follow-up call or even a pre-call, you, you use words and language like this. Write this down. This is worth so much private money to you. John or Sarah or Amy, why do you want to, why do you want to invest with my company? And now Amy's going to tell you the reasons why she wants to invest with you. Okay, Amy, I hear that you want to invest with my company because this, this, and this. Amy, why do you want to invest in this market, Oklahoma City or whatever? What makes you want to invest with this market? And get her to say the few things. And then you say, Amy, what about this deal uh, makes you excited? And now Amy's going to tell you what about this deal makes her excited. And, and Amy is selling herself to be, a, be one of your past investors. Hey, Amy, um, I, I only have about 20 minutes on this call. Um, tell me, I, I, I don't even know if we're a fit. Tell me, why would you want to invest with us? Why would you want to invest in the market that, we're, that our deals are in? And why would you want to invest now? And now Amy's going to say, I want to invest with you, Adam, because I heard your podcast. I like your podcast. You give good content. Okay, Amy, I hear that you like my podcast. You feel like I put out really good content and you feel like you kind of know me um, because you hear so many episodes. Why, why do you want to invest now? Like, why is now the right time for you to invest? Well, Adam, I, I, I feel like, uh, I'm, if I don't do it now, I'm going, I'm going to just never do it. Okay, Amy, so what you're saying is it's important to you to invest now, today, in, in one of these deals because if you don't, you might not invest. Amy goes, exactly. And I said, well, wh and I will say, well, Amy, why is it so important that you invest at all? Well, I need my money to work for me. How come you need your money to work for you? I need it to work for me because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Why is it so important to you that you're able to do what you want to do when you want to do when you want to do it? And Amy says, because, and she, and she comes to tears and she tells you, it's because I, my, my kids and it's softball practice and it's this and it's this and I'm not going to be able to do all those things unless I start putting my money to work. And now you've gotten somewhere with Amy. Now you say, wow, Amy, it sounds like this is really important to you. And you just be quiet. And she goes, yeah, it's really important to me. Well, I do have a couple spots available. But if you are going to invest in with us, you're going to need to move within a couple of weeks. You're going to need to be able to get that money from here to here. So, Amy, how are you going to be able to ensure that you can get the money in 
within a two week time period from when I let you know about it. Well, I can do this. I can do this. I can go and get, start moving some of the money out now. I can, I can go and make sure that my, my IRA is ready to go. I can go and make sure that I start liquidating a couple of my stocks. I can go and make sure that, that I sell one of these houses. I can go and get my HELOC on my house so that no matter what, I'd be able to do it. Okay. If you're committed, Amy, if you're committed and you really want to do it, I will put you as, as one of the first and main past investors. But if I do that, it's going to be hard on me as, as somebody who's pulling all this money together. If I'm going to say that I'm counting on you, if you're not really going to be able to do it. So do I have your full commitment, Amy, that you're going to be able to move $65,000 within two weeks? Amy says, yes, absolutely. And you say, I'm writing this in, Amy. I'm not penciling it in. I'm writing this in pen. I'm going to call you first when we have that deal. And boom, you, the, Amy has sold herself into being one of your investors. And I think that is going to be a very helpful way for you to know how to get the capital actually in your deal. All right, so that, is, that was five episodes. Wow, that's amazing. Five episodes and I have two more episodes of just bits and pieces. These are just highlights of what I think that you're going to need to do to be able to raise the most amount of money, especially if it's for syndication. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.